The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir? This is Pierre. Oh. I can't believe I'm talking to you, Dr. Ray the Great. Oh, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just like my father. I don't think you should feel helpless. You are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. You be at peace, or else I'm going to yell at you. Trying to find a reason to speak to you. I think you're the best thing since sliced bread. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there. They don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, with this phone call. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. You really want to look like a dork? Hum and whistle to yourself in a crowd and look as though you're paying no attention to anyone else. You can get away with that if you're older, like me. But if you're cool, as I once was, and you're 28, and you're just going... That is pretty much a sign. And maybe I ought to do this. Maybe I ought to do this. It's pretty much a sign that nobody's going to ask your advice about anything. And sometimes that's good because I find myself in social situations and I just want to have a good time and relax. And invariably somebody's going to ask my opinion about something or come over and say, can I, can I ask you a question? And if I'm feeling particularly jovial, I'll say, you just did. You want to ask another one? Or I'll say something like, you really mean, can I ask you two questions? Because you just used up your first one. Nice to have you here. Dr. Ray Garendi, program The Doctor Is In. This is E-Person Monday. It is where we, we, you, I, Andrew Gruchek, all of us, look at some of these E-Persons. And I call them that because I'm really reluctant to say email. I'm really trying to sensitize my language. Uh, I've got a stack here. I was telling Andrew before the program that I printed out a whole bunch of them because it's tough to scroll through your phone sometimes, especially when, believe it or not, and this usually comes from my relatives, there's a phone call. And as I'm reading this e-person, the phone call comes in. And, of course, you know what that does. It just blocks everything out except the phone call and the number. So I've got a whole bunch of these printed out. And some of these are a long time ago. And and this one, this one I'm going to do today, uh, oh, boy. Uh, I didn't notice how urgent it was or I would have, would have done something much sooner than now. My guess would be this is long since resolved itself in some way can you resolve it poorly you know that could very well be but we'll get to to those momentarily so what is my manalog some years ago i was in las vegas i had the opportunity to speak to a um I think it was the, the the Las Vegas administrators. Now, those were back in the days when I did an awful lot of school-in services. I'd probably get maybe 15, 20 of those a year. 
And typically, I I avoided direct religious talk, but but the the particular topic was something that was uh, pretty traditional. I, I hoped relatable to the administrators and realistic to what teachers deal with. I don't get anywhere near as many of those as I used to. As a matter of fact, I don't want to say anywhere near. I was zero. I think the last one I had was several years ago. It was a, a big school district here in this area. And what would be the reason for that? Well, the reason is, uh, one, I think uh, a lot of school districts are, because of money issues, are keeping their speakers within the district and usually talking about academic things and ways to meet requirements of the state or the federal government. But I think there's another big reason, and it coincides with the presence of the Internet. People go to the Internet, they see me, they're looking, and they see Catholic media. That's it. That's it. That's the death knell. They won't call you because they won and they don't want to hear anything even remotely smells religious, which, uh, like I say, for tw- for 20 years, I did these talks as a, as a Catholic, but they wouldn't have known that. I didn't talk Jesus. I didn't talk God necessarily, but it was all totally acceptable. I never had feedback that said, Oh, man, why did we bring this guy in? Clearly, he's coming from a religious worldview. That was a mistake. Never had it. Never had it once. Of course, that could be bad. They could say, well, the guy's really coming across irreligious. Hope that wasn't it. Anyway, that's not my point. I was in Las Vegas, and for whatever the reason, my plane was canceled. I didn't want to go to a hotel, so I found a place in the terminal where I could simply lay down and wait for the next flight tomorrow morning. It was impossible to fall asleep because, any of you who have ever been to the Las Vegas airport, sounds somewhat like this. Ding, 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 ding. Something along those lines, because all the slot machines, all the various ways to gamble, were all just lighting up and going crazy all at once, and they just stayed that way. There were people playing these machines, and I watched them with fascination as they couldn't put the tokens in fast enough, or they couldn't crank the old arm fast enough. Why? One reason is that the slot machines are built upon what is called a variable ratio schedule. There are various types of reinforcement schedules in behaviorism. The variable ratio is the most powerful. It means there's going to be a reward, a payoff, But it's unpredictable. You don't know how many times you'll have to perform a certain behavior to get the reward. You could get it the 7th time. You could get it the 22nd time. You could get it the 11th time. It varies. And, therefore, the more you do the behavior, in this case, 
crank the arm of the machine or push the button, the more likely ultimately you'll get some payoff. Very voracious schedule. Very powerful. They have put pigeons on variable ratio schedules, and if they would peck, every so many pecks, they would get a seed that they could eat. And the pigeon will collapse from exhaustion, from pecking that whatever whatever it is, a spot or a lever or something that dispenses a little bit of food. Now collapse, because they can't perform fast enough to get the reward. Parents, <coughs> especially with kids, oftentimes, and this is this has been a, a suggestion of sticker systems and reward systems and token systems, they follow the rubric of if you perform the behavior, you get a reward immediately, instantaneously, every time. That's it's a fixed ratio schedule one 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 performance one reward one performance one reward much more powerful reinforcement schedule if you want the behavior is random for example kids are gone a couple of days without tormenting each other and you say hey guys you know what i've been noticing i've been noticing that you have been treating each other pretty good I really, I really admire that. I respect that. Tell you what. Here's what we're going to do for both of you. Hour later, bedtime. Or tomorrow we're heading for ice cream. Or you get to pick the dessert next time we go to a restaurant. Now, the kids don't know when it's coming. You determine it. And you do it on a variable racial schedule. It's the most powerful for getting the kind of behavior you want. Now, you may not be able to remember variable ratio schedule. Think random. I'm Dr. Ray. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I want you to have such confidence in the Lord that you'll find such hope and see the beauty of the Lord, the majesty of God. What did our Lord say, huh? If your sins are as scarlet, oh, what? What's going to happen? They shall be made white as snow. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. John chapter 11, verses 21 to 26. This is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Lazarus is one of his best friends. Just before this passage, we hear the news that Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that the one you love is sick. And the next line in the scripture is, now because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. His friends in need, he can heal. They've seen him heal before. And yet somehow because he loves him, he stays. And Lazarus dies. 
And then Jesus shows up three days later and is greeted by Martha and Mary, who confront him with the words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. Rather applicable for many of us in our lives. We ask the Lord to do one thing because we're certain it is what we think is best. When in fact, he has something which far surpasses what we ask for. The challenge is in waiting for that to happen, we go through very trying times, which oftentimes makes us wonder, does he really care? The following program is brought to you in part by MyCatholicWill.com. Surveys show that more than half of Americans do not have a will. At MyCatholicWill.com, it takes as little as 15 minutes to write your will and secure a legacy of faith. MyCatholicWill.com is the exclusive online destination for creating a Catholic will. The process of writing a will is simple and now more accessible than ever. MyCatholicWill.com, a legacy of faith for those you love. Dr. Grandy doing the show with my eyes closed. Yep. Until I have to look at something like this e-person on this e-person Monday. My dad has been clinging to our Catholic faith. And it's been wonderful. However, here's the big but. As of the last couple of years, it's been almost to the point of extremism. Now, before I go any further with this, my first thought is it depends on who's defining extremism. In our culture, somebody who takes the faith very seriously could easily be called an extremist. Now, I remember reading this e-person, and, and that's, not, that's not exactly how she's using the word. I think she respects very much how seriously he takes the faith. Here's where the problem comes in. He takes his information and will often get into arguments with our family. He has turned most of us away from the church, which is the opposite of what his intentions are. Okay, so, writer, do not, double underline, do not turn away from the truth of the church that you apparently know and believe because you're saying it's wonderful that he's in the Catholic faith. So apparently you view the Catholic faith as something wonderful. Truth. So you, and if you can influence the rest of your family, do not say, because my dad can be obnoxious about this, therefore we're getting pushed away. That makes no sense whatsoever. You judge the faith on its truthfulness not on someone's style in presenting it. Now, of course, a style can turn people off. That is true. In a social interchange, very easy to be turned off. But you don't take that next leap and say, therefore, because his style is off-putting, the faith is off-putting. That's kind of like saying because people do bad things in the name of the faith that they shouldn't do, Therefore, the faith needs to be jettisoned? No, they're acting counter to what the faith says. I've urged him to work on his communication and how he delivers his information because he is super knowledgeable. Great, he's got it. But his delivery is bad. 
I've also offered some communication experts information to help him craft his message so he can reach more people. But if it doesn't come from a Catholic source, he refuses to hear it. And even then, if the source doesn't check all the boxes, he has something to say about that. It's getting so he can't have a normal conversation without condemning someone that they aren't following the one true faith. Yeah, especially if he's condemning the person he's talking to. That ain't a way to win him over. I'm writing to see if you've ever encountered a situation like this. Oh, well, I'd say somewhere between one and 500 times. It's easy to become zealous for what you believe is the truth. And you desperately want your family members or the people around you to recognize that and you're going to barrage them with logic. Barrage them with your knowledge. Take apart their arguments. If you read the other person's reaction, you'll find out very quickly that doesn't work too well. What I would do, dear writer, is I would sit down with your dad and ask him about the process. In other words, don't say, Dad, you're turning people off. Dad, nobody wants to hear you. Dad, you got to work on your style. They don't want to hear that because in his mind, he's got the truth and he needs to present it and they can take it or leave it. Dad, how are people reacting to you? Well, they don't like it, but I need to speak the truth and they need to hear the truth. Do you think they're more likely to hear the truth if they think you're condemning them? Well, they can think what they want. They can think what they want. But it's my duty to just present the truth. Do you think that's how Christ did it? That he presented it no matter what? Or that there was a real soft spot for people who were sinners? Well, look at how he talked to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. That is true. But those were, as he saw it, hypocrites. The common people, the people who the religious leaders viewed as lacking the faith, he was very gentle with, very gentle with them. He ate with sinners. A, a high sign of fellowship. So what I'm saying here is get your dad to answer some questions about his own style and his own motive and that he can be more gentle with others as you ask him about his successes. If his goal is to bring people to the faith, you just ask him, Dad, is it working? Are people wanting to hear you? Or are they retreating from you? And Dad, if they retreat from you, is that what you want? How will you ever help them to understand the faith if they're retreating from you? Dr. Ray, I have an 11-year-old grandson who has trouble talking to adults like a teacher. His mother, my daughter, also had similar problems growing up. 
Okay, so you got a little temperament temperament component here. All right, so that that wiring of mom, which is social ill at ease around others, uh, was passed on in some degree to the son. She would make life harder than it needed to be. My grandson has this trouble too. He has a tendency to mumble, talk softly, has trouble saying what he wants in a way that someone will listen. I'm not sure if he's afraid of failure or not being liked. Now, there's there's always trickiness involved in interpreting someone's motive. It could be this is just his style. This is how he talks. He doesn't really want to converse all that much. Uh, he doesn't see the need to. So... In essence, it might not mean a poor self-image. It might not mean a failure, afraid of failure. Do you have any suggestions on how to help an adolescent learn to communicate with adults in a respectful, mature way? Well, one of the things I used to do when I consulted to Head Start, we had certain kids who were, if, if you want to use the, the fancy term, were selective, they, they practiced selective mutism, which means that around their peers or around the teacher, they said virtually nothing, zero. When we talked to the parents, the parents said, oh, no, no problem at all. He's just a jabbermouth at home. One of the things I advise the teachers to do, and I would suggest this with your grandson, to get anything, he has to look a person in the eye, speak clearly and mannerly. That is the price. So if he wants an hour playing a video game, he's got to ask properly, maturely, to get the video game. I would also want to know how does the teacher allow him to do this? Now, okay, he's 11, so he probably has several teachers now. He's fifth grade, sixth grade maybe. So he has several teachers. How Are, are there ones who have more trouble with him communicating? I would, I would want to know exactly what they do, or maybe they just ignore him because he doesn't say much and he doesn't cause any trouble, and so he just sits there kind of like a rock. Maybe they can get him to, in fact, ask properly to get something. If he wants to go to the bathroom or if the class has a certain privilege coming up, teacher goes to him and says, I need you to ask me individually, not in front of the whole class, that'll embarrass him, but individually to ask me clearly, mannerly, for privilege to do that and if you can't then I'm not going to let you do it but I won't tell others why you can't do it so you find out you you require in the most basic way clear concise enunciation communication I don't know given his temperament and given you said that his mother was like this, my question would be, is she still like this? 
And given his temperament, given his style, I don't know how much of it is wired in inclination and how much of it is the path of least resistance. Kids tend to behave along their wired-in style. So if you've got a kind of assertive, aggressive kid, then he's likely to misbehave in a more assertive, defiant way. If you've got a really shy, low-key kid, if he's going to misbehave, he's going to misbehave a little more subtly. He may not jut his jaw out and defy you, but he'll be sneaky or passive in his resistance. And I don't know how much your grandson has developed a habit. He's 11. So how long has this been going on, and what have people done to nudge him toward better communication? with Teresa Tomio. There was a big story about this Catholic college saying, oh, we are going to open our doors to anyone who identifies as a woman. So a male student coming in, but if he calls himself a woman, that's fine. This is all about diversity and equality. This is a Catholic women's college. And so, thanks be to God, there was a lot of pushback. And guess what? The school rescinded. How important it is not to give up and to remember that we can and should respectfully, always with love, express our concerns. It doesn't matter. The victory is up to God. But sometimes we do see that success in the victories, as is the case with St. Mary's College, who says now it needs to go back to its roots and get a deeper understanding of what it means to be a Catholic college for women. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. What three virtues are embodied in the first commandment? The Catholic Catechism, paragraphs 2084 through 2086, tell us that the first commandment encompasses the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. In this commandment, God calls us to worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. When we say God, We confess our belief in a constant, unchangeable being, always faithful and just, without evil. It naturally follows that we accept his words and thus have complete faith in him. Since he is almighty, merciful, and beneficent, how could we not place our hope in him? Finally, who could not love a creator who has poured out his love, his goodness, and his gifts on us? This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor's in Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Co-production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications. Been on the air with you for some 20 years. And uh, my producer man, Andrew Kruchek, who puts together the least worst ofs, uh, he says that he sometimes has to go through 30 or 40 
uh, and take bits and pieces of each show to get one good least worst of. We don't have any best subs, but uh, this is E-Person Monday. I, I noticed this in the stack, and this is one of those ones that, for whatever the reason, I it slipped. It just slipped into the deepest parts of the stack. And as I was rummaging through the stack, I came across it. And it's some months old. I got to believe that this is probably no longer relevant. Uh, however, hopefully uh, it will still be somewhat useful. And maybe it resolved itself in a beautiful way. Dr. Ray. I, 18 years old, live with nine of my ten siblings, my mother, and my maternal grandparents. So you got that? So she's, she's 18. She looks like she's the second youngest in the family. My mother and I believe that my older sister, living at home, is five months pregnant and about to abort her baby. In my judgment, her boyfriend is not the best person. His family, who has made their disdain toward her very clear, him and her, are all taking a trip to a particular state in a few weeks where abortion is available. A couple of years ago, my mom found a positive pregnancy test under my sister's bed. My sister claimed it was a joke to fool her friends. We don't know what happened to that baby. A few months ago, my mom, who has been obviously pregnant ten times, recognized some signs of her pregnancy and tried to bring it up with her. But it was misunderstood, and my sister thought that mom was pregnant again, so the subject was dropped. My sister has bipolar disorder, or she's at least she's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and a few other mental challenges, not to mention she hangs around with the wrong crowd, online and in person. So apparently what's happening is she's, she's at the stage in her life of rejecting the way she was raised, with the morals she was raised with. She's made it clear, no one can tell her what to do, where to go, because she is an adult. But my mom is too nervous to kick her out again. So apparently they had kicked her out before, uh, and she's back. And my mom is fearful for her and the baby. I know multiple people would gladly support her throughout her pregnancy and the baby's life. Okay, gladly support her throughout her pregnancy and the baby's life. But our grandfather, again, whom she lives with, isn't the kindest with words or the most gentle with actions. And it can be very intimidating for her to bring up her pregnancy and whatever options she has. Basically, she says, what can we do? Whew. Well, if this isn't at this point academic because the situation has gone one way 
or the other, I would ask her, what do you want to do? Because remember, she says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. So you approach it as, what do you want to do? And if she says, I don't want the baby, um, I don't want to be pregnant, um, and I don't want the idea of this baby being raised by anybody else, then I would ask her, do you fully plan to abort this baby? I want to know how definitive she is with us. And then I would ask her things like, do you think you'll ever be at a place in your life where you look back and regret this? Do you, do you think that if you give birth to the baby that we wouldn't all rally around you and do whatever we could to help you as the mother? In other words, I would, I would have her look at all of the consequences of doing one thing or another thing. What would, what would keep you from wanting to place this baby for adoption, to give it a, a mom and a dad, what, and someone you could pick, by the way? What would keep you from doing that? I just don't want to go through the pregnancy. Okay, so you're saying that, are you saying that it would be better for you to end this, end this baby's life? It's not a baby. Well, what do you think it is? You gotta, you gotta get into her thinking. What is it? Right now she's just resistant to anybody saying, you can't do this. Because in her attitude is, you're going to stop me? You can't stop me. I can do what I want. And it, it's clear she's not going to get support from the boyfriend's parents. And in all likelihood, he's pushing her to do this. He doesn't like this idea. She's relatively very young. And as you said, she, she hangs with the crowd that is all likelihood not religiously motivated in any way so her view is i'm not the weirdo you people are pretty much everybody would agree if i decided to abort this baby you're the only ones who wouldn't so you can't you can't really take too hard of a moral argument with her because it sounds like she's rejected the morals that you've raised her with so you're going to have to take the approach of let's think this through if this what about this if this what about this does your boyfriend want you to do this more than you do what have his parents said about this what would be so unendurable with having a baby now you're dealing with she's got a diagnosis and I don't know where she got this diagnosis from and I don't know how severe it is and I do know that bipolar disorder unfortunately is being thrown at people way too often because their emotions are all over the map as opposed to being clinically bipolar so those are all factors to consider 
Now, Catechism Wisdom with me, Dr. Ray Garendi, and Father Larry Richards. Father Larry, church talks a lot about charity, right? Let me read to you something that the Catechism says, section 2447. The works of mercy are charitable actions by which we come to the aid of our neighbor in his spiritual and bodily necessities. Instructing, advising, consoling, comforting are spiritual works of mercy. My profession says that we need to have people meet our needs. Now, this here seems to be a little, I don't want to say antagonistic, but maybe contrary to that. The way of the world says me, me, me. The way of God says you, you, you. And when we sit there and we focus on the reality, it's in giving away your life, Jesus says, that you find life. That is so anti-world, isn't it? I serve to feel better? Exactly. That That's where we get everything. It's in giving away your life that you find life. That's the cross. That's the way of Christianity. That's contrary to conventional wisdom. Yeah, and that's the point. <laughs> okay. Well, enough said there. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, catechism puts things on Absolutely. its head according to conventional wisdom. Absolutely. Jesus comes and changes the world and turns the world upside down and says, you want life, then you give away life. And it's in that that we find true life. It's in serving that we become more fully who we are. As God left heaven, if you will, became a man and gave his life for us. And when we do the same, just as he found eternal life in his humanity, so will we. A life of self is a wasted life. God says, I'll take care of number one. You take care of others. And when you give away and you live a life of service, that's when you're going to find life. So others are number one. You got it. I have a thing that says... Uh, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. The life of joy, huh? That's the exact opposite of what the world says. But in, when you do that, you will have a joyful life. Am I holy or am I a jerk? That's the question. Thank you for joining me here. This is Dr. Ray on the Doctor is In. This variant of the Doctor is In is E-Person Monday, where I do my very best to address. I was going to say tackle, but that's kind of a that's kind of a rough. It's kind of a manly image uh, to address uh, some of these E-Persons that come in. Hello, Doctor Ray. I'm having a tough time with my mom. She is a very good person, better than I will ever be. She's Catholic. She takes care of her elders. She's very generous. And she takes really good care of my kids. All right. So far, so good. She has so many good qualities. And she is good to me because she will help me with whatever I need help with. And I'm grateful for that. But there is an enormous amount of strife between us. Okay. Now I'm going to I'm struggling here to put the two together. Got this wonderful mother, but for 15 years, and that goes on to say that for the last 15 years we can't seem to go a day, sometimes 10 minutes without getting into a fight. It is exhausting. Well, first of all, what are you fighting about? 
If she's doing all these good things, she's helping any way you can. My guess would be you're getting into a fight because she views things differently than you do and you feel compelled to question her, challenge her, or to show her that you're a grown person now and you can do it your way. That'd be my guess. Now we get the other side of the personality. She can be childish even towards my kids. Someone one time, and she says a social worker (laughs) who lived above us, asked me if it felt like I was parenting my parent. Now, this see, this is um, it's kind of a personality profile is sort of reminiscent of, hey, I'm going to tell you what the struggle is, but overall he's a really good kid, and it sounds like overall she's a really good mom, but then she's very controlling. She feels sorry for herself a lot. She says hurtful things to me, and she will say things to my kids that I'm not okay with. Sometimes she will even make up stuff that's not true. She does get extremely insecure and has pushed me away from her, not literally, because of that. Okay, let me, let me go back to the beginning of this. She's a very good person, better than I will ever be. Well, how are you defining good person? She takes care of her elders. She's very generous, takes good care of my kids. So many good qualities and so good to me, helps me with ever. But there's an enormous amount of strife between us. So what are you you fighting about? Okay, obviously, you're fighting about the fact that your mom apparently has a whole lot of opinions about the way things should be run and what you should do to be a good mom and what your kids could do to be good kids. And so she says this stuff. And you battle with her. For 15 years, you've tried to correct her. And for 15 years, you've been unsuccessful. You said, we can't go 10 minutes sometimes without fighting. Well, it takes two to fight. If if she's not going to stop, then you've got to be the one to stop. You can't keep battling her. If she brings all these good things to the table, to your life, But yet, in a lot of ways, her personality, and this seems to be what you're saying, her personality is very immature. Her personality on a day-to-day basis is is not easygoing. It's difficult. And that bothers you, and you keep trying to correct it. My mom has never really had any boundaries. I call her a free spirit. My mom and I have been through a lot. She is a single mom. I'm an only child. And we've never had distance between us. I'm 38. It's only been in the last 10 years that we live in different homes. She does live two floors below me now. (laughs) So she's right there. So it sounds like she's right in the middle of your life. And in the middle of your life, she has all kinds of ideas about the way it should be, the way you should live, the way you should do it. And you resist this. And that's okay. You can do what you want. But battling her every step of the way is only making it that she digs her heels in, you dig your heels in, and if she's not going to undig her heels, you're going to be the one, for your own sake, to undig your heels. Basically, whenever I have made any sort of foundation or structure for myself or established any sort of boundary, she comes in and tears everything to pieces without knowing it. There you have it. There it is. You want to live your life the way you want to live it, and she wants you to live your life the way she wants you to live it. And at some point, 
to get out of these arguments. You might just have to say, Mom, I'm going to do it that way. And then cut it off. If it's on the phone, say, Mom, I got to get gone. Or if she's at your house, you just kind of stare at her. You're, you're, you're not going to engage. You've tried that for 15 years. How's, how's it gone? 15 years. My mom lets people take advantage of her kindness, and she has a hard time saying no. When I was about 11, she started dating a bitter alcoholic who lived with us for about 10 years, and there was daily strife in my house. All right, so now you're saying, I've got plenty of evidence for why my mom is somewhat the way she is. It's not all of it. We're not all totally learning-shaped. We have our own inborn personalities. She goes on, I had no mentors. I was lost and angry until my late 20s when I started studying career development and finally learned about boundaries. Okay, yeah, you're, you're trying to set boundaries on your mom and she blows through them. That means you, you quit trying to set the boundaries and you just sort of ignore her disputing the way you want to do it. You just do it your way and that's the way it is. You don't fight with her. I'm married to, I, to whom I think is the best man in the world. My mom, on several occasions, has expressed that she does not think we are good people. (laughs) I have a difficult time controlling my anger towards my mom. Yes, because you can't accept that your mom is highly opinionated, highly intrusive, has all of her ideas about the way things should be run, most of which you don't agree with because you think she's immature, so you haven't come to grips with... That is who my mom is. That is who she's probably going to be till the day she dies. You said, and I didn't read this in the e-person, but you said she doesn't see herself. Well, as you try to get her to see herself, you just end up in a fight. She defends herself. She challenges you. She accuses you of doing the same things. And it's the same template over and over and over again. You got to be the one to pull out of this. You're the one who's raising your three kids. You're the one who has a wonderful man. It could be that your mom is lonely, sad, and rejected, and resentful. She didn't have the marriage you have. She's, she sees your marriage, and even though she accuses you of not being good people, down deep somewhere she wishes, and she's envious of what you have. So that makes her more likely to push on you, to challenge you, to say things that are nasty. You're not going to change your mom. you got to change you. And by that I mean it takes two to fight. And if you start short-circuiting these arguments, you just won't fight. Mom, I'm not going to fight with you. And she keeps pushing. You find a way to retreat. Whether it's i got to go to the bathroom, whether it's i got to get lunch started, whether it's you hang up, whatever it is. got to start short-circuiting these things that end up in a lot of ugliness and make you feel miserable. You're not going to change your mom in all likelihood. You're the person that changes. I'm Dr. Ray.
Father Benedict Rochelle. Brothers and sisters, we got to tell the truth in this country. For heaven's sakes, I wouldn't want to go to a synagogue and find that they were having a Muslim service. I wouldn't want to go to a mosque and run into a Baptist service. I don't want to go to a Baptist church and find out that they're having mass. We've got to be honest to ourselves. We've got to be what we are. I'd rather a good old-fashioned, honest agnostic than a phony Christian any day of the week. There are reluctant agnostics. There are atheists who are searching for God, and they may find Him. But somebody who says they're doing something in the name of God and the name of Christ, and God and Christ have nothing to do with it, is violating this commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall not take my name in vain. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. The church has a very high view of conscience. It's, I think it was St. John Henry Newman who called conscience the aboriginal vicar of Christ. Catechism reads this way on conscience. The interior voice of a human being within whose heart the inner law of God is inscribed. Moral conscience is a judgment of practical reason about the moral quality of a human action. It moves a person at the appropriate moment to do good and to avoid evil. It offers some suggestions, uh, the Ten Commandments, the moral teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, the moral teachings of St. Paul. All of these things are used as a measure of how well we're doing. It is then up to the Catholic to take a look at the teaching of the church and to see if, in fact, they are in proper communion. The idea that you can dispense with the objective moral teachings of the church in favor of personalized conscience is lawless and anarchic. Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta for Eastern on EWTN Radio. E-Person Monday, I'm going to take on this last one. It's kind of tragic. My only sister cut me off and took my wider family with her. She gave birth to a baby boy in 1982. The boy was baptized. I was asked to be godmother. When my first sister's first marriage broke up, she left him and was taken in with her two children uh, by my brother. She found work, married a second time. Her first husband became, and she uses this word, a derelict. Second husband did not want to parent the boy by age 16. The boy was causing problems, drinking, smoking pot. My sister decided to send him to his birth father, the, the derelict. I, as godmother, told her not to do this because it will not turn out well. At 21, the boy returned to her and he was addicted. My sister was relieved he was 21 and made no apology to her son. I don't know what that means. Apology meaning I sent you to your dad and uh, in uh, your, well, it wasn't your, wasn't your, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confused. It was, it, was her, it was the dad. It was the first husband. I held... Now, here's where it really hits hard. I held my sister, her second husband, and the birth father contributing to the boy's death. This is what got me cut off. Well, obviously, you must have said something like that. And however much that was your opinion, it was definitely not a good thing to say. Uh, first of all, they're not going to agree with you. They can't. How can they, how can they agree with that? Most people are not going to say, it's my fault. I did it. My son is dead. I'm sorry. 
I, I skipped the sentence, a critical sentence. The boy married while still struggling with substance abuse and died at age 32. Okay, there's where it comes in. She blamed her sister, her sister's first husband, and the, and the boy's father for the boy's death. And she apparently said it. Ouch. She says, I'm searching for forgiveness. Well, I would imagine you've tried. Perhaps you could try again much more clearly. You could say something like, that was one of the worst things I could say. Uh, and now, you're probably going to have to not only apologize for saying it, but you're going to have to apologize for thinking it. Because if you just apologize for saying it, your sister's going to be thinking, well, okay, so you apologize for saying it, but you still hold us accountable. I would probably say something like, I am so very, very sorry. That was completely, completely out of line. Lives are very complicated. And for me to say that this was the cause of something like this, only God can say anything like that. I can't. I was way off. I was speaking out of emotion. I was speaking out of tragedy and sadness. And I am so sorry that I didn't recognize how hurting you were. I just added to it. You go to her, that self-effacing, that self-surrendering, is really uh, your best chance to get heard. If that doesn't work, if in her mind you committed the unforgivable sin, you will not now nor ever be forgiven for saying something like that. Then there's nothing you can do about it. In the words of Roy Hobbs from the movie The Natural, some mistakes you never stop paying for. And this may be one of those for you. So you just pray ongoing for a softening of her heart, for some kind of forgiveness. And uh, recognize that you can't make her forgive you if she doesn't want to forgive you, no matter how much you show your contrition. Hmm. Oh, boy. This is Dr. Ray. I appreciate the company on this uh, E-Person Monday. Good Lord permitting, I'll be with you tomorrow where we can talk. Jaw if you're a guy. Share if you're a female. And I think I can still say that. I'm going to assume that when you call me and you say you're a guy, you're a guy. That's it. I want to thank Andrew Kruchek for all he does over there. And Ave Maria Radio Communications. I want to thank EWTN for airing this program on their some 400 affiliates, 400 plus affiliates, 500 worldwide. Uh, and they've told me my listening audience is upwards of 180 people, which is which is really it's it's quadrupled since I first started when we only had 45 people. And uh, you're among those 180. Thank you. I appreciate it. Walk with God. He will forgive you always. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.